Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Hey, this is DeRay, and welcome to Posse of the People. In this episode, it's me, Miles, and Kaya talking about the news that you didn't hear about in the past week or that you didn't think about from a lens of race, justice, and equity. And we are offline next week for the holidays, but we will be back. Here we go. Welcome, welcome, family, to another episode of Pod Save the People. My name is Kaya Henderson, and you can find me on Twitter at HendersonKaya. My name is Miles E. Johnson. You can find me at Feral Rapture at Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Black Planet, Live Journal, MySpace, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> this is DeRay at DRAY on Twitter. So, shout out to Diara, who's not with us this week, um, but we'll see her next week. And um, I wanted to start out by getting your reactions to this clip that DeRay posted in our group chat. It always goes down in the group chat uh, about The View. It's an episode from The View where the ladies are discussing a recent report around why millennials are not having children. And they all have some very interesting perspectives. Um, but apparently Auntie Whoopi done got the people all riled up. And so, DeRay, you put this in the group chat. Talk about it. Honestly, I think I want to hear Miles' comments first. <laughs> Miles, who said, who said he saw it earlier in the weekend, it pissed him off. Say more. Now, Miles, lead us, please. No, well, hold <laughs> on. <laughs> Hold uh, on, because I feel like y'all sitting me over the uh, the, the mountain first. For okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me let me give a little background. Let That's me give a little background. Yes. The report basically says there's a new report out from somebody. I think from Pew and somebody else that basically says that millennials. Uh, there's a lot of data that shows that um, the U.S. birth rate is the lowest that it's been. And that millennials are not having children. And when asked why, some of the reasons are things like the student debt crisis, the economy, the housing crisis, the fact that these folks are basically not set up for economic success. And many of them feel like they can't support a family. And so they are choosing not to have children. Um, They say that the economic climate has made millennials feel like big life milestones like buying a house and having a family are out of reach for them. So that's the background. And the ladies begin to discuss this with different people having different takes on why this is the case. Whoopi's take was... (laughs) (laughs) Whoopi's take was... Well, okay, wait. uh, Including... Before I go to Whoopi, including, you know... um, Farah, is that the lady's name, DeRay? Sarah yeah. Haynes, who we don't know. No, no, we not Sarah. We all just Google yet. Sarah. The the oh. Farah oh. Alyssa somebody. Oh, Aly- Alyssa Farah, who is the former head of strategic communications in the Trump White House. Megan McCain understudy. Who, you know, is making a halfway reasonable case for people making an informed decision around not having kids and she does not sound super crazy. Then there's the Sarah Haynes lady who I never heard of before who says, I think this is great because there are so many people who basically shouldn't be having kids. What about all the kids who get beaten and abused and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's great that people are choosing not to have kids. And that sounds crazy. And then Auntie Whoopi comes on and says millennials, basically, she basically says that millennials are lazy and that they 
um, cannot access the economic benefits of the American dream because they only want to work four hours a week and um, and that in her generation, people just got it together and worked really hard and bought houses and had kids and just do, did the thing. Is that a fair... Is that a fair recap? And there was this like flippant, because you all you always know his tone. Uh-huh. You always know his tone. There was that flippant response that essentially she says, well, if millennials wanted to work more than four hours a week, then maybe they will be able to get a house and some kids too, which kind of minimized the millennial struggle. And also it just divorces how gener- generational conversations start. There's always a elder authoritative generation who says, you know what, all the problems that this generation inherited is because of their own self-individual depravity or um, laziness. So this is the true, when people were saying the same thing about those Black Panthers and those hippies, <laughs> there was this, this is true when people were saying um, the same things about, it's, it's, it's literally just happens in every generation. Just look, look, look at what was happening with rock and roll and look at the generation before and see what they says. So it just hurts because Whippy... You would, it's just in my head. Whoopi had to have a conversation with God, right? And she said, and looked in the mirror and said, God. And God said, hey, Whoopi. And Whoopi said, hi, back. I'm about to shave these eyebrows off. Get me some um, locks. And God, I need to ride on your grace in order to be a star. And I'm also going to talk about race. I'm going to talk, um, uh, have a, I watched her one woman show every year. It's one of the most brilliant performances of a woman on stage. She was in Sister Acts. She's the one who let Lauren Hill know she can sing. When, when <laughs> Lauren Hill's mean ass mama told her she can't sing, ain't no money in singing. Whoopi was the one who restored her magic. So it hurts. <laughs> To see that woman who's kind of the... She was silly in color purple. So it hurts to see that kind of woman who was just this embodied rebellion say something so utterly conservative and say something so utterly disconnected, which proves that it doesn't matter how radical the roots might be. <laughs> enough money and enough uh, Barbara Walters uh, signed checks you two might forget that you don't got no eyebrows and you got locks. And if you were born in 1991, you'd find it hard to work too. <laughs> you would find it hard to work too. <laughs> you, you don't look like a good culture fit for we work. You don't look like a good culture fit for any of these things. You would be right with the, be... <laughs> So it just, it's just... It's just wild because I, I, we're of a millennials of our generation for mostly, I'll speak for myself and so many other people, we had to collage our legacies and our career opportunities together. So my career opportunities and my legacy is collage over a whole bunch of underpaid, underbenefited jobs that I maximized on in order to uh, make make my way monetarily and also to for my voice to be heard. And I know so many people who are like that, who are doing art in these gigs and these gigs and these gigs, and then also do entrepreneurship just so they can make leave a little footprint in their lifetime. So for that to be reduced to us wanting four hour four hours a week jobs and and that's how come we can't have families how traditionally it's just so it's just so disrespectful and so and just so disconnected. What you gotta say, Doray? Miles, I'm just going to plus one the whole thing there. (laughs) What I'll add are two things that's made me think of. One is that, you know, because she really does do a pull yourself up by the bootstraps. If you just worked hard enough, you would get it. Like, we did it too, and y'all need to do it. And every generation had it hard. That's like her mantra. And I think about, I was having a really good conversation with one of my friends this weekend about the trauma that our parents had. And I think about my father as somebody who he... I wish he had had a four day work week. I wish he had had the the like time to do field trips and all that stuff when we were kids. I wish that he had 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 grown up in a time where people weren't and my great grandparents. I wish that like working until you die wasn't the way that we told people that was success. Like that is what we did to people. And I think that you see that in the way that people were raised and like what were we loved? Yes. But Lord knows, I came from a line of Black people who killed themselves because they were told that, like, to do work meant that you worked this many hours a week and you stayed in one place. Mind you, worst bosses they ever had. People treated them like crap at the workplace every day. But it was sort of just what work was. And you're like, no, Whoopi. Yes, people did do this for a long time. 
That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it make sense. And all of us have been managers of people at some point. And I'll tell you, managing people today is very different than it was, you know, 20 years ago for a lot of people that like, yeah, I am listening to you when you complain about the thing that I made an expectation about because like we're in a workplace together. Nobody was listening to my father when he was starting his career. It was like, boy, go do the thing that we hired you to. So that's like my kinder thing I have to say about her. What my heart said as soon as I saw it was, I'm reminded that the reason we like her is that she performs the words and thoughts of other people. And every time I'm confronted with her words and thoughts, I'm I'm disappointed. Let me read them. <laughs> when we get to Ted Danson and her defense of blackface, honey, this she is said, where I was and going. I quote, it takes right. a whole lot of courage to come out in blackface. I don't care if you don't like it. I do. I will then take you to uh, Ray Rice's domestic abuse scandal. Don't be surprised if you hit a man, he hits you back. I know I'm going to catch a lot of hell and I don't care, but you have to teach women. Do not live with this idea that men have this chivalry thing with them. Don't assume that that is still in place. Seely said then... that. <laughs> she, okay. didn't read the, mm-hmm. she didn't read the book. Like mm. what? Let me take you to the Oscar so white controversy. She said, this is not the Academy. Even if you fill the Academy with black and Latino and Asian members, if there's one, if there's no one on screen, to vote for, you're not going to get the outcome that you want. And she ends with, I won once. So it can't be that racist. And then let's remember her historic defense of Bill Cosby. I bring all this up just to say that I am reminded again that why people love her is that she performed the words and thoughts of other people, which are way more progressive than her own. And when she speaks, I'm continually disappointed. And it has pushed me to remind myself that like actors and performers are delivering other people's words and other people's thoughts. And Lord knows she's a case study for the disappointment of someone's own. Oh, Whoopi, I wasn't even going to do it to you. Honey. I was I was trying to my, I was trying to keep it. If it didn't happen before fourteen days, I wasn't going to bring it up. If this episode is not titled "The Tape Down Take Down a Whoopi Goldberg," I don't know what it is. But that Jesus. was a brilliant. That was a brilliant deconstruction. Right? I, you know, what was so interesting to me was, and I am probably somewhere between Whoopi's generation and y'all's generation. But what was so interesting to me is that it provoked so much. Um, emotion from you all. And I was just, I mean, on the one hand, as a, I'm not a millennial, but I have, I made the choice to not have biological children and that's my business. And I don't really care what people think about that or why or whatever, whatever. And so there's a part of me that's like, Whoopi, you could think whatever you want about these millennials making their own choices, but we's free boss and we get to do whatever we want to do. So who cares what you think about them, whether you think they're lazy or whether you think they're whatever, whatever, none of your business. A number one. B number two, I realized I was done with Whoopi as a serious, you know, influencer when the whole Ted Danson thing happened because I, there is just no way on my, I've been brown my whole entire life's earth that uh, there, there would ever be a time where I thought that bringing my white boyfriend to the club in blackface, saying a whole bunch of N-words and eating from a watermelon tray and talking about our sex life would ever be appropriate. So at that point, there was a psychic break between me and Whoopi Goldberg because there's no way that I could ever understand how she thinks. And so for me, this was Whoopi just whoopying and me just moving on along because whatever. But I do think, Miles... That this generational thing is, I mean, I, I I think about how my girlfriends and I respond to what it means to manage millennials. It is a, diff, a completely different ball game. And I think what we have to recognize is the world of work has changed. Expectations have changed. And like, we just got to roll with it. This is how like humanness works. Every generation feels like the previous, the, the successive generation isn't like them and they can't be because context has changed significantly. So, um, yeah, I mean, this has inspired much more conversation than I ever thought. Cause I was like, whoopee, whatever, but here we because, are. Cause you, cause you can feel it, you know, Auntie Kaya, you can feel it because I'm like, I, 
I just came back from the mountains. We all had to come together as grown-ups and young people and pool money and resources and cooking skills. And this is what we've decided to do with our partners, with other single people. All, you know, this is how we decided to do family and we're making the best of it and we love it. But it's also what's, we're making this lemonade. And for somebody to say, well, you just making that lemonade like that because because uh, you're too lazy to go get it. No, there were, there were just no lemons. So we had to use this little juice and we had to use this sweet and low. And now we're getting it together and it, ta- and it tastes good. But don't make it seem like we didn't get it because of that. And then again, I believe in me- media symbolism. There's just a way that she kind of represents the transgressive black woman for so many people because of the role she decided to pick. So a lot of people don't know about the things that DeRay listed <laughs> and that and you were all discussing. Boom, but they're, boom, but they're, boom, but they're, boom. But they're, but they're, soon, they're, soon, they're soon finding those things out. <laughs> I, I mean, my, like, you just said it, right? You went to the Catskills. You did family your way. And for me, like, that is what freedom really is. Freedom is the ability to live and be however you want to be. And the thing is, anytime you are living and being in a way that is different from the status quo, you know, people got something to say about it. Well, that's just life. My grandmother used to say, when people are not talking about you, that's when you should be worried. I'll segue this into my news, but I'm always reminded, especially people on these big media platforms, like, that they are often, unless they're talking about random cultural things, they are often making political statements, even if they don't understand or care about the significance of the power dynamic. And it was wild to watch The View thing and see Alyssa Farah, the former Trump woman, making a pretty cogent defense of millennials, right? Being like, you know, people ain't got money, inflation's high, da-da-da. And Whoopi's like, they always said that. And you're like, whew, not the Trump people. Don't go anywhere. More Politics the People's coming. At Cricket, we love carry them in their comfortable, cool, sustainably made sneakers. Cricket loves them so much that we just released our second collaboration with them, a Love It or Leave It sneaker. They come in pink and black and have a really fun LA-inspired design with lots of details Love It or Leave It fans will recognize. Now's the perfect time to step up your shoe game with these super comfortable sneakers crafted with consciously sourced materials. Plus, Karyuma plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest for each pair purchased. Head to crooked.com store to grab a pair. Pod Save the People is brought to you by Factor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Now, let me tell y'all, They sent me the Factor meals, and it is absolutely true. Two minutes, pop it in a microwave, and it literally is restaurant-quality food. So far, my favorites are chicken parmesan. I am a chicken parmesan connoisseur. This stuff is good. It has broccoli and tomatoes, and it is creamy and amazing. Mmm, yum. So easy to throw it in the microwave and have a good meal. I'm saving money. I'm not eating out at restaurants so much. It's healthy. Like I cannot say more about Factor Meals. So if you want to be down with this, head to factormeals.com slash PSTP50 and use code PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PSTP50 at factormeals.com slash PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Pot Save America is brought to you by Helix. If you're looking for better sleep, you need to upgrade your mattress with Helix. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released and high-end Helix Elite Collection, Mm. a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. 
which Charlie has. Charlie has a Helix mattress now, just for kids, in his uh, race car bed. Very nice. excited, very happy about it. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and uh, it ships straight to your door free of charge. They even offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. If you're a side sleeper, you can choose a model with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief. There are also models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, check out enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating while you sleep. It's no wonder Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. And you, you've loved your Helix mattress. I love it. I got a Don Lux. There you go. And there you go. great. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked. That's helixsleep.com slash crooked. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Posse of the People is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, whew, y'all, the beginning of this year has just been a lot going on, like from work and family and friends and just, you know, the weather's been awful in New York City and Baltimore. There are a lot of stressors happening, big and small, and we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. ATLP.com slash people. But I wanted to talk about Trump because there is something happening in this moment where people are, some people are disillusioned with Biden, definitely young people. I think the older black people I talk to are like, you know, it is what it is. But definitely some younger black people are disappointed and and certainly uh, organizers are. Now, I wanted to bring, though, what Trump has said he is going to do if he is reelected. He has said, and I'll just let my news is just to bring them here, is that he is going to start rejecting asylum claims from um, from countries using the change in the law that happened with COVID-19. He will not use COVID-19 as a claim anymore. He will just claim other infectious diseases are coming in from migrants. He said that he's going to deputize local police and the National Guard troops to deal with immigration. He's going to get over the restrictions around ICE because he's just going to build huge concentration camps. He's going to do one of the biggest redirection of Pentagon funds in American history uh, to redirect to deal with immigration. He is, and I quote, going to build the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. He wants to redo a 1954 campaign. He does not name the campaign, but the campaign was called Operation Wetback. And it was a campaign to expel Mexicans. He wants to mimic that in this moment. He also wants to end birthright citizenship for undocumented parents. As you know, if you are born in America, you become a citizen. He does not want... Uh, the parents of kids born in some country uh, from some countries to become citizens. And then he wants to revoke temporary protected status of people from countries he deems unsafe. These are all categorically bad things, and they will be the worst things for black and brown people. In, end of story. That is just true. And there's something about the caricature of Trump that people either don't take him seriously or don't think about it. Da, da, da. So that's like one thing. And I want to bring it here because we got to figure we got to contend with that and figure out how we tell people that story. It's juxtaposed by the arrogance of the Democrats that are sort of like, well, he's just so wild. They will have to choose us. And I actually think that that made a lot of sense 20 years ago. It made a lot of sense 50 years. Ago. It worked when there was when there were three stations two news programs, you really could just tell one story and it just is the story. Like that is, it worked. And we live in a moment where you just can't do that anymore. And I think the party has not realized that he is wild. He is the wildest thing I've ever seen. Doesn't cover it up. He's not speaking in code. And that doesn't mean that people will just vote for the Democrats. And the Democrats are playing in a world that has changed. And I am nervous about that because they just don't realize there's not one story. I think about Corinne, the um, the White House press secretary. I don't know that woman, but her calling the people who call for a ceasefire repugnant, the black and brown Congress people, 
she will never, ever be a credible source to me ever again. She just lost all of her credibility in that moment by calling them repugnant. Now, there's a 20 years ago, I would have never seen that woman. I would have maybe saw that clip on one news program. I've seen that a lot now online because people are like, is this the black woman they put out there to call the black Congress people? That's And that's all I think. That is literally who she has become to me because I can't defend that. That is wild to me. And I do... I worry because he is, he sort of played fast and loose when he ran the first time. It was like, oh, he's not playing fast and loose. He's like, I'm going to lock up my political opponents. I'm going to do these things. And we cannot have that again. And the the Democrats are just arrogant. I do think we should be having a serious conversation about a nominee. I ran across an article this week that talks about this Agenda 47, which is Mr. Trump's policy platform. And this project where they are literally trying to um, pre-screen and vet thousands of foot soldiers to join the Trump administration the moment that he wins, who are ideological purists. He feels like he hired a bunch of regular Republicans the last time and they put constraints on him. And so they are literally pre-screening. They have thousands of resumes and they're pre-screening people. They want up to 54,000 loyalists to come into the Trump administration across lots of different dimensions of government. And literally they're asking these people like, who's most influenced your political philosophy? Name one living public policy figure whom you greatly admire and why. There's a ton of attention being paid to these people's social media histories. Um, Literally anybody who, and you just gotta be an all out Trumper. And their plan is to flood the government with these extreme people. And if Trump doesn't get elected, they are all set to push this apparatus to Nikki Haley or to Ron DeSantis or whoever the nominee is. And again, it just goes to show, I mean, they're using generative AI. (laughs) They've contracted with Oracle to help them, you know, vet all of these resumes. Like this thing is happening. Um, The Heritage Foundation is running it. And like, once again, I feel like the the conservatives are playing chess and the Democrats are playing checkers to think about having a legion of thousands of people who all believe Trumpism going into the government and literally breaking government the way you described, Array, is hella scary and very, very possible. And so... Um, I thank you for bringing this to the pod because I feel like people are in a fog. They do not realize how serious these people are, how organized these people are, and how many people are ready to go into the government and pull it apart. We got a sneak preview of it on January the 6th, but it could be way worse than that. When I saw Biden's Veterans Day uh, 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 post on Twitter, I kind of understood even more deeply the disconnect. So on on the post that Biden did, it's basically... Um, a collage of all the horrendous things that Trump has said about the veterans. And that was the Veterans Day uh, post. And to me, I would think that we're learning that being anti-Trump hardly helped us win (laughs) when we were fresh off our presidency. And now doing that now that we're so many years removed from that presidency is definitely not going to help us win and definitely not going to help us on the left be unified. And I don't describe myself as a cynical or pessimistic person when it comes to the the, the political destiny of America or the globe. I'm, I'm kind of like eternally optimistic around those type of things. However... I understand that there are a lot of people who are cynical and that this, uh, how bad Trump is, is not it anymore. And even when I think about it, I have a friend, Richard Brookshire, he founded um, something called Black Veterans Project, got invited to the White House. That was, to me, such an easy way. Like, obviously, they're aware of him. He got invited. Somebody's aware of him. I'm saying Biden themselves was aware of him. That, to me, would have resonated some, doing something around Black veterans for that day and highlighting that, that would have resonated with the millennial. That would have resonated with Gen Z. That would have resonated with the people who are who are being activated. And I think that's a broader statement about how the Democrats are doing this 
all in all, it can't it can't be another anti-Trump movement. And I, I don't necessarily understand what Democrats are thinking. <laughs> like I don't like I like I wish I knew I understood. I think we've focused so much on what Republicans or Trumpers or whatever language you want to put on them are thinking. And I and I, I'm really curious, like what are Democrats thinking? Like what do they think this is working? Are, are they jumping ship? Are they panicking? I, I, I'm, I'm so at loss of why Why did they think that running the same campaign from, to, to, you know, <laughs> 2020 was going to happen again or work again. So my news is Kiki Palmer and Darius Jackson. I'm going to say Darius Jackson a lot of times because I think when patriarchal, Abuse happens, we overuse the victim's name and we underuse um, the perpetrator's name. So Darius Jackson uh, has been accused by Kiki Palmer, his his ex-partner, of just heinous physical abuse, including shoving her, breaking prescription um, glasses, choking her, threats to kill himself, all types of bodily threats to her physically and then also to her um, psychically. I think one of the reasons, because I always play like a, 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 there's always a Wendy Williams and a, and a Malcolm X in my head <laughs> of why I bring things to the podcast, and 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 this is gossip, but I wanted to bring this in because I think we all love Kiki Palmer, and we've talked about her for the last years so many times because she's had moments like Nope, she's had just the the best viral moments. Um, because of Darius Jackson and not because of Darius Jackson. And I wanted to bring her in because we've seen her smile so much. We've seen her be so comfortable. We've seen her um, be the light in our day and create products. And all the while, she was being abused. Um, Her mother got on camera and said that she talked to Darius Jackson's brother a year ago about the physical abuse. That means, at least for that year, this was something that was happening behind the scenes. And of course, we don't know. But goodness... It is so, you can hear things theoretically, like you don't know what somebody's going through or um, the, the strong friend needs help or the strongest woman are, can be going through the most heinous of events you would never know. But literally, the strongest woman was going through the, <laughs> and, the and the most funny, jovial, jovial, jolly woman was going through something so heinous and we only saw a crack with, towards the end of it, towards that Usher um, controversy and how he responded. And it was really, he showed us the crack, right? So it wasn't something that was exposed. He was really well hidden. He actually had to work to be found out as abusive because he could have just been quiet and been quietly abusing her for even longer. He did that. I wanted to bring this to the podcast and get y'all's opinion on this obviously very viral topic that's been um, going around the internet, not just because it's sensational because it's celebrity involved, but also, just you all as Black people, Auntie Kaya as a Black woman, I think we're always asked to show up as our most excellent selves, as our most jovial selves, and things crumble in the background. So I just thought there was no more interesting people to ask around what they felt about about this and the dynamic of performing something in public while suffering private and how has that tension affected you all's personal life too. So I didn't want to keep it in the Wendy Williams gossip place. I wanted to make it a, a Super Soul Sunday moment <laughs> by, <laughs> by, by redirecting the conversation to our own personal um, vulnerable moments. I will say, you know, it was the team of people around her. It is clear that there's a little bit of the Beyonce playbook that people are like, Beyonce is like, there's one narrative and it is mine. And you're like, I got it. It makes sense. And I was so sad that she had to release those images. Like that made me really sad that she had to. And I can see the thought process from her team because it happened immediately. People were like, didn't happen. Why was she with them so long? Why would you have kids with somebody who beat you? That like, that was immediately what happened. And then the pictures come out and everybody's like, oh, she wasn't lying. And you're like, wow, that is clockwork. Like, the, the first thing people said is, but Kiki gave that interview talking about how they met. Kiki said this about them. Kiki has the pictures with the baby and they laughing and joking. And I, and and so like that was, the pictures made me, I was like, I this sucks for you, Kiki. And to have to prove to people on the front end 
that this is even real, that you didn't just make this up is so disappointing. So there's that. Um, the second thing is, you know, Darius, I, I, I was, I'm never shocked by men because Lord knows people do all types of things. So Darius made a post that has him in it, the baby, and it ends with this image of Homelander from The Boys. Now, I have a lot of critiques about Homelander. I don't actually love Homelander. And I think that The Boys is actually like a, I think The Boys is a not great show around race and justice. It is an entertaining show, but that is another episode. But if you've seen The Boys, him stitching himself into an image of Homelander is, it is so beyond nuts that I don't even know what to say because in The Boys, Homelander does have a kid who has the same powers as him and it's a big deal because he has a kid with a um, with a mortal. But he has a kid because he rapes her. So he rapes the baby's mother and essentially threatens to kill her if she doesn't like exist in this random place with the little boy. So so she, so he Homelander goes and sees the boy often and eventually takes the boy from um from the mom. Like that's that that whole that storyline is central to who Homelander is because the boy is sort of the only thing that makes him a mildly caring. It's like he's 99% evil or bad or awful. And then this 1% is he sort of likes the boy. But even his love of the boy, he like pushes him too hard and the boy's not gonna whatever. But the relationship between Homelander and the baby's mother is rape. That is, it's like the central storyline of the child's existence is that he rapes her and she knows it's rape. It's not like, like she is like, this is wrong. This is bad, but I love my son. So she's trying to figure out what to do. And he's Homelander. So he's like one of the most powerful people in the universe. So she can't just like hide and she does try to hide. And he has supersonic here, but for him to stitch himself into an image of Homelander, I'm like, I mean, that is... The lawyers are having a field day with that one. And if I've never seen somebody tell on themselves, I don't know what is. So I'll just stop there. But the Homelander thing got me as like, I didn't doubt her before and I believed her. But now I believe you because you just told on yourself too. You know, one of the reasons that I love being on this podcast is I learn new things all the time. No idea who Homelander or the boys or anything about that is. So I'll have to look that up. Um, But I mean, one, this, I, you know, my first reaction was here we go again. Right. And I think that, you know, when I think about black women, celebrities and domestic abuse, you know, there are tons, the most recent or the the ones that pop to mind quickest for me are Rihanna, Megan Thee Stallion, um, and now Kiki. And what I will say is I'm thankful that, um, I mean, we don't know how long this has been going on, but um, she was like clear. He did this. Here's the evidence. Da 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 da. Um, and I, you know, I guess like my one sort of hope is that as we learn about these things, that women will understand that they have a choice, that they have options like domestic abuses, horrible, terrible. Um, you know, Miles, you asked about our personal experiences. Thankfully, this hasn't been my experience. And so I can't really speak to, you know, how people respond. And I think everybody gets to respond in whatever way makes sense for them. But we love Kiki. She's like our little sister. We watched her grow up and we all want what's best for her. And I think that's what you see in the public response, finally. Or I think there's more. there's been more of a public response that is positive and supportive of her you know, even I think about how Meg was treated when I mean, the dude shot her in the toe. Um, and and it, it also makes me think a lot about the power dynamics between women and men, especially when women are, are when their careers are further along or when they make more money, that that oftentimes seems to be a real indicator of a potential problem in relationships that escalate sometimes. And so... I don't know. It's just I, so sad to me that like these poor women who have beat the odds, are talented, have done all of the things, you know, are, are I, I mean, nobody should actually um, have to face this. But 
it just makes me sad. It makes me want to hug my little sisters and make sure that they're okay. And I think we have to, as a Black community, collectively hug Kiki and let her know you're doing the right thing and send the same message. My hope is that other young ladies watching this understand that this is not how they're supposed to be treated. And I'll say, you know, I actually took Miles's question to me and you, Kai, to be what, how do you negotiate the the public life when, when things don't go well. Right. Or like, mm. like not necessarily domestic violence. And I do think you probably, I'd be interested. I, I want to know what your answer to that is. I will say, I remember, I mean, so many things where Lord knows people were mad at me and I just didn't say anything or like, just let it go. But there are times I'm like, you know, if I talk about it, then I'll have to talk about it forever. That's what it feels like. If I address this thing in a public forum, it will create a public record of it. And then people will feel like they can ask me about it for the next 3,000 years. And I just cannot. There's some things where I'm like, I can't do it. And then there are other things where not talking about it means that I'll have to talk about it for the next 1,000 years and on somebody else's terms. And that is sort of like when I'm trying to negotiate what I think about. Like, I even think about, um, you know, I think about people's frustration with Teach for America. I will never forget. I was at a panel, like, in San Francisco or something, and these activists literally, they asked me some questions on the panel and I give the normal answer, which is like, hey, did you teach? Or like, but, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in the way people talk about classrooms who've never been in them. But anyway, and then afterwards, they literally come up, put the camera in my face and they're like, you needed to do I'm like, I'm like being heckled by at black activists about Teach for America. I'm like, that's not even what I'm being. Like, I don't work for Teach for America. I've never worked for, you know, this whole thing. But I remember like, you know, am I going to say anything? And I didn't in the end, but like I was heckled. Or somebody, this is way before the current situation in Gaza, this like reporter for um, like Breitbart chased me at the DNC and was like, what is your statement on Palestine? And I'm like, not you running, like you're like running me down trying to get me to say something. So I just say no comment because I'm he's driving me nuts. The no comment goes viral. I get activists who I was with in Ferguson being like, I can't believe you won't stand with the Palestinian people. I'm saying you're like, this man is literally running me down, trying to like force me to, I'm not doing it his terms, but then now I'm having to explain all this stuff. And it just is a really crazy thing that sometimes like what people expect and demand from you is really wild. That's why I have a lot of sympathy for Kiki, not only um, as a victim, but it sucks to be the victim and have to do all this work to to like anticipate the public response and get in front of it is just awful. Yeah, I, I thanks for bringing that dimension to it, DeRay. I think people have no idea what living life in the public really feels like. Um, and, you know, my public life paled. I, mean, I wasn't a celebrity, right? I was a local school superintendent, but... The way people, celebrity, she uh, was our favorite. She was a young superintendent uh, too. My sister, my, my I'll just say, my sister called me about Kai and was like, she is who made me believe that I could be a school leader because I saw somebody young uh, and black in office. And Kai was there for ten years, y'all. She was the cool because a lot of superintendents uh, you don't really want to be like them. You just like them, but we wanted to be like Kai, and we were like, that's uh, the young girl over there. Uh, uh, I still well, want to be like Auntie you. Kaya. <laughs> Thank you. But I mean, I will say, and I, I loved that job and I, we did great work, but the worst part of it, the best and the worst part of it was the public part because you, people think that they own you and that they have access to your life and you're doing a job and you're still a person. And there were so many times where people would come at me and, you know, one, it requires you to have a lot of empathy in that role because, like, people are not really thinking when they come at you. Um, but it also, you're like, aren't I a person? Like, I'm a person. I get to decide what parts of me you consume and what parts of me you don't consume. And people don't believe that. People think that because you are a celebrity or, you know, you have this public life, that that means that you belong to people wholly. And, you know, Kiki clearly held back what part she wanted to hold back. And that's her business. That's how she, you know, you don't, you, nobody has, gets access to everybody, to anybody in this way. And I think we've got to remember that these are people. Yes, they're entertainers, but these are people and politicians, same thing. You just don't get to, 
comment on or have access to these people in this way. And I think, you know, there are people who will say, well, then they shouldn't be celebrities. Not true. Not true. Because you are a great actress or a great game shows or a great whatever, you should not have to give up your whole entire personal life in order to do that job. And so we have to, you know, I think clearly social media has warped our thinking about that. Um, But I do think that (laughs) this whole moment of where we are in the world calls us back to our humanity. And I think we have to extend Kiki that and, and everybody else around the place. Everybody gets to live their life the way they want to. We get to comment on some of it, but not much. And they get to decide. Don't go anywhere. More Politic the People's coming. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipt. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipt, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. My news this week is about artificial intelligence. In fact, last week, according to CNN, uh, was the most significant week for artificial intelligence since the launch of ChatGPT last year. And I brought this to the podcast because I feel like people are not paying attention. Some people are not paying attention to what's happening in the AI world, Um And I can talk a little bit more about that later. But um, the announcements that were made last week are indicative of the speed that the AI market is moving at. Like literally last year, ChatGPT burst on the scene. A zillion people were using it in 15 minutes. And like a year later, all of these different iterations, improvements, enhancements have been happening. And if you're not paying attention, you will get left behind. So a couple of things that happened last week. OpenAI, which is one of the largest producers of of artificial intelligence, had their first developers conference. And at this developers conference, they did a bunch of things. They announced new updates to AI tools. Um, They announced uh, the ability to create custom versions of ChatGPT called GPTs. And anybody can create their own GPT. Um, whether you have coding experience or not, uh, which is going to make accessibility super wide for generative AI. They announced a GPT store, much like the app store, where your GPT, you can create a GPT for education or a GPT for productivity or lots of different GPTs based on whatever you do. And the GPT store will allow anybody to search the different GPTs that are available that people have created and have access to them. So it means that loads more people will have access to these tools and technologies, not just what the big AI producers are creating, but what any developer is creating. Um, They also announced at this conference GPT-4 Turbo, which is the latest version of ChatGPT, which basically does 16 times more work than the previous version, right? And this is literally, I mean, GPT-4 was released in April. This is now November, and the tool does 16 times more work than the tool that was released in April. Um, 
that all happened at one conference. Um, also, at, at right after that conference, there was a targeted attack. So two days after the conference, the developers conference, um, uh, OpenAI experienced large-scale outages when somebody attacked their servers. So this is ground zero for the tech wars and what's happening. Um, and GPT went down for the first time, and that was a huge thing for anybody who uses this. Also last week, Humane AI released their PIN product, which is the first AI wearable device. It attaches to your clothing and it projects the information onto your hand so you can answer calls and emails and all kinds of stuff without holding a smartphone, friends. And in fact, uh, Human AI's PIN goes on sale November 16th for $699. Like, this stuff is not in the future. This stuff is next week you can get this thing and start projecting stuff onto your hand. Um, and then there's your boy... Elon Musk, who uh, runs XAI, XAI, they are working on a chat bot called Grok. Where does this man get the, like, his nomenclature is so whack. Like, I'm no hashtag friend. Like, my friends are like, what's the hashtag for this weekend? Call me, Elon. I can help you with better branding for this stuff. <laughs> but it, this thing is called Grok. And it is a chat box that will be included in X or Twitter's premium plus paid service in the United States. And the chat box has a sarcastic sense of humor, similar to Elon Musk's, because we need that in our lives. Anyway, coming soon on the AI front are things like Amazon's Olympus. Apparently, they're pouring zillions of dollars into a Olympus, which is projected to be smarter than ChatGPT4. Um, YouTube is testing AI tools to improve its products and services. And what's happening is, you know, basically everybody is using this technology to enhance um, and enrich what they do. And I brought this to the podcast because, you know, um, I think about it in, in our work at Reconstruction, for those people who don't know, we teach African-American history and culture online to young people. Boom, quick, easy, simple. But, you know, we also are using generative AI to help teachers create more culturally responsive lesson plans. And part of the reason why we did that was because um, we see white teachers, well, what teachers in wealthy white areas already incorporating ChatGPT into how they teach, into the assignments that their kids are getting. And in in um, communities where teachers are teaching low-income students and, and low-income students of color, teachers are wary about generative AI. They don't know what's out there. Our communities are very distrustful. And my real worry is that this stuff is happening at the speed of light. It's not being designed for us. It's not being designed with us. And if we're not in here engaged in what is happening, we will once again be left behind on this technological frontier. And so I brought this, um, one, to just say, here's what's happening, but two, to remind us that you know, as scary as this stuff might seem, it's happening and we need to get in here. We need to know about this stuff um, and we need to make sure that our kids are are primed to pick this stuff up. I'll say one more thing. I was in um, Phoenix this past week and I went to um, this AR VR lab called Dreamscape Learn where they've basically harnessed the power of movie making and virtual reality and artificial reality to create, to change how you teach college classes. And so, and it, it was honestly like the most mind-blowing thing that I've seen in a long time. And, you know, I asked the people, I was like, so let's talk about diversity. Do you have diverse coders and designers? Are kids able to see themselves and their communities in this? And um, that is a live conversation for lots of people. And so we can't be afraid of this technology. We've got to know, keep abreast of what's happening. And we've got to lean in on this so that we are not left behind, X'd out, whatever. I had a little question. And I know if I have a little question, then maybe probably listeners do too. So is there, can you like tell us the difference between the chat being on top of the GPT. <laughs> and the what GPT is the difference between chat GPT and GPTs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
ChatGPT, basically you ask it a question, it scours the whole entire internet and it comes up with an answer, right? And sometimes that's great, sometimes it's horrible. You've heard all about hallucinations and wrong information or racism or whatever, whatever. But most times it gives you a fairly decent answer. Um, in many things, it gives you a superior answer to what people are are um, are doing, or what people might otherwise do. A GPT is basically a closed system, so it wouldn't be pulling from the whole entire internet. It might just pull from your particular database. So if YouTube is working on it, you might not want it to go, YouTube might not want it to go to the whole internet. YouTube might want it to pull, answer questions just from the YouTube catalog, right? And so that is, that would be a YouTube GPT, right? So this is just the ability to determine what what you load in, where your information comes from, as opposed to the whole kit and caboodle. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Dr. Auntie Kaya. <laughs> so there are two parts of this. One is that I do wish there was like a crash course that I could take on the GPTs because I'm not watching a long YouTube video and my friends who like it are so excited about it that they're not good teachers, right? Like, so... <laughs> There's that whole piece. So uh, so that's one. The second is that I just, you know, I feel like an old man in this part where I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth to, to learn one more thing yet. Like, I'm sort of like out of it. I'm like, I get it. I see it. And I'm at the point where I'm like, I think this should be used for entertainment. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure it should be used for anything real. So if you need a quick synopsis, cool. If you need to make a little image, cool. I don't want it making decisions about things. I don't, I just, and maybe that's because I need to learn more, but I'm like, I'm still nervous about this just because I've seen, I've seen the movie. I've like, this was made in the most inequitable way by people who think they are smarter than everybody and technology is going to save the world. Like that is their ethos. And I am certain that they have not thought about the way this can be used for bad very quickly. And then we'll be reading the book about AI killed all these people. We're like, how did it happen? I'm like, I know it happened already. So I don't know. It makes me nervous. I'm as interested in it as I am. I am more nervous and interested. So you, I, I think that is a totally like reasonable place to be. Um, the reason why I would push a little bit on this is like, think about the internet, right? Like the internet was going to do all kinds of things, right? People were very worried about what the internet would be. And the internet has tons of really bad uses, right? We saw election interference and all kinds of things. And at the same time, the internet has been ubiquitous, has become ubiquitous in how we live our lives. Everybody uses the internet, right? And my guess is that that is what's going to happen with this generative AI stuff. People do know what is like how it could be used for bad. Um, it did come about in all of the ways. And in fact, some of the people who created it are like, oh my God, here's how it can be used for bad, right? We we covered that on the podcast a little while ago. The, the godfather of AI was like war machines. Like that is what is going to happen. Is going to be terrible, blah, 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 and a few other things. And at the same time, like the train is not going to stop, right? So us being wary is just means that we continue to be out of the conversation. And that to me is scarier because, you know, I'll just share our experience in working with this. You know, we, we were like, can this help us create curriculum more quickly? And so we started prompting it and asking it the questions to see if it could get the like quality of lessons that we as Black human beings create. And our lessons are really good and nuanced and come from an asset-based perspective and have a pedagogical outlook, right? I'm saying all of these educationese terms to say we got some good stuff, right? And it is professional and it's thoughtful and all of this, whatnot. And of course, ChatGPT 
could not create what we've created, but we started trying to train it to get as close to what we created as possible. And then what we realized is it is not going to do that because it pulls from all of this junk out in the world and it pulls wrong things and whatnot. And so then the question is, can you build something that will, when it pulls out wrong things, you get it to spit it out because there's a check or a balance. Can you get it to never give you you know, uh, a, a classroom exercise that says divide your students into masters and slaves and da 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 because that's what ChatGPT will give you. Or ChatGPT, when you ask for, you know, great um, leaders in African history, one of the things that comes up is Idi Amin. And you're like, say what now? And so the challenge for us, and I'm not a technologist, is could we train a, a GPT, Miles, to kick out those things to really like think the way we think. And we've created a tool that helps teachers add African-American history and culture to their lessons that is really good and nuanced and is almost as good as what we would create ourselves. It took a lot to do that. And if we could do that, and I'm telling you, we're not technologists, we're educators, other people can figure out how to do this. I do think that a lot of the noise, like this thing is getting better like every 10 minutes. And so the initial noise that we're worried about in three months or six months is not, there'll be a whole different set of problems. And so I'm simply saying, these people are going to fix the initial problems. But if we are not in the conversation saying what the next problems are going to be or what we're seeing, then we are going to be left behind. Um, so I listen, I'm 53 years old. I, <laughs> I'm the least likely person to adopt new technology. But I've watched what happens in education when... Um, people of color are not in the room designing things. And when we're not trying these things out to see whether it works for us and with us. And I just decided we're not going to be left behind this go round. Auntie Kai going to be part of this conversation, baby. Okay. okay. And, to, and to your, uh, to your point, um, Auntie Kaya, that it is here. And I know there's like medical fields that are like using these things. We already kind of like made fun of, but also acknowledge that there are like legal uh, people who are uh, people who are in law, legal people, people who, are, who practice law using um, the GPT and the AI um, technology. So it really is integrating. And I think we're in the very awkward, uncomfortable part of something integrating with you. But by the time the technology is able to be projected on your palm, the integration has really settled in. Uh, that's next so, week next week right so <laughs> and by the time it's under to get that technology by the time it kind of lands under a thousand dollars the access point to that is different because i just paid for my headphones that were six you know that were six hundred dollars from apple so the, the the price of entry is just is way lower mm-hmm. um so it, and it something. will get lower it'll get even lower right yes and it is something to think about because two Auntie Kaya's just really sharp point, the internet, we're still discovering the ways the internet is uh, influencing us. Um, there's always new studies about how social media is doing things that we didn't expect for it to do. For it to do. And we also understand that there's a whole thing that we call the dark internet, where the most heinous of things are being sold, traded, talked about, planned. And that will be happening with AI in the last... Th- I ain't trying to scare nobody. But... If you think that the how to Google to how to do a domestic terrorist attack, I hate to say pipeline, but no pun intended, but pipeline, that's very real. That the uh the the AI to terrorist hateful things is very real too. So if not for anything else, it's it it's it, to me it's valuable to engage with, even if you don't want it in the dailiness of your life. It's just good to know where um where the world's going. It reminds me of what you brought up with Darius Jackson and Homelander and how so much of that internet masculine culture is uh, found, founded on uh, interpretations of comic books and, and animes and stuff like that. So it's just good to know what's going on just if so you can just intelligently say I ain't doing that. <laughs> Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Positive the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out and make sure you rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we'll see you next week. 
Pate the People is a production of Crooked Media. It's produced by AJ Moultre and mixed by Evan Sutton. Executive produced by me. And special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles E. Johnson. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.